Let us pray. We're going to continue in our series on the book of John, and we're going to be looking at some really familiar passages. John 3.16 is one of those passages, and sometimes we can come to a passage like this and say, I've heard all the sermons on it, I've memorized it in the King James Version, the NIV, and now the ESV. I know it inside and out, and maybe you don't. Maybe we don't. And so I want to challenge us a little bit. We're going to look at it in a different facet. So be prepared to look at it, maybe in a different way, uh, and be challenged by it. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you that you are a God who loves us. Despite us, you love us. I pray, Father, as we open up the word this morning, that we will be transformed. That we will allow your word to soak deep into our soul, soak deep into our hearts. Holy Spirit, we pray that you will be the revealer of all truth this morning. That we will be challenged and changed by the living, breathing word of God. We thank you that you have given us this book. We thank you that you have given us the Holy Spirit to make sense of what you have written. God, I pray that you will come now and speak to us. In your name, amen. Amen. Recently on Facebook, a, a friend of mine, he asked a question. He said, what is the most feared childhood movie that you grew up with? What scared you to death as you watched films? And, and I have to be honest, there's a, there's a movie that, that really scared me. And I mean, it literally scared me into heaven. It was so scary. Now, some of you might remember this show, this movie from the 70s, and I'm not trying to make fun of this film, but I think that there's a little bit of something that, that was lacking within this film, and the film is Thief in the Night. And I remember my dad as a pastor, he pulled out the VHS and the TV because we didn't have anything else, and he put it in front of the, the sanctuary, and he invited everybody to come on a Sunday night, and, and I was about four years old, right? Four years old, and I'm watching all of this craziness happen, and the opening song, I mean, it's scary, it's all get out. So we're going to play that for you so you can remember and go back to the 70s or the 80s or maybe the early 90s for a moment, if we could play that clip really quickly. Yeah, there we go. We ended it. How many of you remember Thief in the Night? Okay. See, it, it, what, what happened with that movie was there was a development of fear, right? You've got to go to heaven because you might be left behind. You've got to do it right now. Now, many people came to Jesus, myself included, but there was a little bit of lacking theology. The theology that was developed there was an escapism, that we need to escape the world, that we need to go to heaven right now, that we need to wait for that day to happen. And what, what happened is something that D.L. Moody said is that people became too heavenly minded and no earthly good. 
too heavenly minded and no earthly good that there was this sense and longing to get to heaven, longing to be raptured and go ahead and, and get into heaven. Now, wanting and desiring heaven is not bad. And I'm not trying to, to down the film because I think at the moment when it came, it was very powerful and many people did in fact come to Christ. But I want to share with you that the gospel is a story of reclamation, not escapism. It is a story of reclamation, not escapism. And we're going to see Jesus in this story of, of this conversation with Nicodemus describe the gospel as a gospel of love, that there is passion, that there is love that, that God has given to the world. It's not about waiting to get to heaven. It's about giving the gospel of love now, reclaiming that which the em enemy has stolen. That is the gospel. It is reclaiming. It's not waiting to get to heaven. We're not just saved from something. We're not just saved from hell. We are saved to someone. We are saved to Jesus Christ. And we are called to have a mission on this earth. And so I want us to add that piece, that understanding as we come to this portion of Scripture, the title of Good News of Love. What is the good news of love? You see, in our finite humanity, we can't always understand the infinite nature of our God. He is so mysterious, as we talked about last week. There are depths that we could never plumb of the mystery of God. And the idea of the gospel of love is one of those things that we can't really fully wrap our minds around. We can try and package it up a little bit, and we can try and, and put it into our minds and understand, and we can believe it, and we can own it, and we can live into it. But it doesn't always make sense. Why would God choose nasty, dirty, unrighteous people to be his children, to bring them into the chosen of God? Man, that's, I, that's hard to fathom. It's hard to understand. So the question that we're going to look at today is, what is the good news of love? If the gospel is the good news of love, what does that mean? What does that look like? And we're going to look again at a very familiar passage. And it might challenge your mind as to understand an even deeper view of the good news of love. So let's read together John 3, 14 through 17. John 3, 14 through 17. You can follow along on the screen or in your Bible. The word of the Lord says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent, this is Jesus talking to Nicodemus still, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. And here it is. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. I think the first answer to our question, what is the good news of love, is that you and I need to understand that all of, humility, or all of humanity matters to God. All of humanity matters to God. Now, Nicodemus, remember, was a Pharisee. He was a teacher of the law. He was very popular with, with the rabbis. He was part of that elite group of believers in, in, in the Bible and in the law. And he would have said the law is key. The law brings us to God. Following the law brings us to God. That's how we're saved, by, by doing this. And, and as Jews, as Israelites, we are the chosen people. Now, that type of arrogance pushed away the rest of the world. 
Pharisees believed that Gentiles and everybody else, Samaritans, were, were dirty and could never come to God. But if you remember the Abrahamic covenant, God told Abraham that your descendants will bless the world. They will bless the world. That is the goal of the chosen people is to bless the world, to gather in the refugee, gather in the sojourner, gather in those who are lost and lonely. Share with them Jesus. Remember, or share with them the Lord and the truth of his word. Remember, Jesus was in the temple and he threw the table. Some of you would remember, I threw a table. He threw the table over because they were hindering the Gentiles from coming to Jesus. The story that Jesus is trying to unfold is a very radical one in the mind of Nicodemus. All of humanity matters to God. How do we get that? Well, let's look at that passage. It says, for God so loved the world. That word is cosmos, that God loves everything in existence. When creation was made, God said what? It is good. You see, he created all things good and loved Everything in existence. You notice that when the fall happened, everything was broken. Not just humanity, but the entirety of the world was broken. The gospel, the good news of love, when we understand reclamation, it means that everything was and will be reclaimed. Even our broken world, the new heaven and the new earth, it will be put back the way it was supposed to be. But also notice, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes, that word whoever is pos, and what that means is anybody. All of humanity has an opportunity to come and know the good news of love. Now this would have been shocking and audacious for him to say to a Pharisee. He's like, listen, we're not, we're not it. We're not the bee's knees. We're not the best We're not the only chosen. There are more that will come in. There are more that will find and be grafted into the reality of the Israelites. We will welcome the sojourner. We are not alone. All of humanity matters to God. Jesus is essentially saying there is no discrimination from the Lord. All people can be reconciled to God. Every single individual human is made in the image of God. No matter their race, no matter their, their past, no matter where they, they live, no matter what country they are from, no matter what political persuasion they have, they are made in the image of God. All of humanity matters to God. It's not just one individual group of people. Whosoever believes in him. Whosoever believes in him. So we can also notice that inequality is not a quality of God's kingdom. There is no equality. A pastor, and this is now a popular saying, said that we are all equal at the foot of the cross. All of us are messed up. All of us are broken. All of us have sinned, for all have sinned. Every single one of us. Well, when we come to the cross and we believe in him and we know that he is our savior, that we believe the good news of love, when we own it, no matter who you are, no matter where you came from, You can and will be saved when you believe. Whoever believes in him. One commentary says this, God's intent is a saving intent. 
And the scope of his salvation is worldwide. His love for the whole human race expresses itself in the giving of his son, his one and only son, to die on the cross. You'll notice in the Gospel of John, we're going to continually encounter this idea that inequality is not a quality of God's kingdom. We're going to see in John chapter 4 that Jesus hangs out with a Samaritan woman, another audacious no-no for his time, because he's saying, you too can find the truth. Now that would have been offensive. You see, there's a reason why the Pharisees were completely upset with Jesus and his gospel. They weren't just upset that he was calling himself the son of God. He was saying that everyone is possibly uh, capable of coming to the kingdom. That everyone is welcome. They did not like that. Imagine a group of elitists who suddenly find out that they're not so elite. They're not going to like that. They're going to try and shut that up. They're going to try and shut that down. They're going to try and cover that up and say, no, 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 no. We're the best. And anybody who says that we're not the best needs to get crucified because we are the best. But that's not true. That is not true. Inequality is not a quality of the kingdom. John will continuously highlight the Pharisees' inequality that they were propagating. Continuously, he will go against it again and again and again in the book of John. Another reason why I love the book of John. Another thing that we need to understand about the good news of love is that God loves every person, not just all people. You see, it's not just a uh, everybody, it's every people, but there is an individual reality to the gospel. Now, too often in American culture and Western culture, we focus only on the individual. But the reality is, is that you matter to God. You matter. I matter to God. He sees you. He knows you. He loves you. And if you're lost and away from him, he wants you to come to him. Whosoever believes in him can find salvation in Jesus. God loves every person. Now the enemy would like to say to you that you're messed up, you're so bad, you've done so much, your past is so horrible, then, and your family just treated you like trash, and so you just need to understand that Jesus could never love you. You could never come to salvation. You will always have to work at your salvation, and you may never get there because you've done so many horrible things in your life. Well, whosoever believes in him. That's not just every ethnicity. That's not just every political persuasion or every person from any country who has access to the gospel to know him. But it's everybody who has a horrible past. It's everybody in this room because we've all done things that we regret. We've all done things that we are ashamed of. Each and every one of us has access to the gospel of Jesus because it is a gospel of love. It is good news of love for you and for me. Whosoever believes in him. I think we skip over that pretty quickly. And we've memorized it so often that we lose the truth of the good news of love in the midst of its familiarity. Because we can quote it. We could say it. 
But here Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, all of creation will be reclaimed. Anybody who believes in me, no matter where they come from, they will be saved. They will be saved. And so that means that we need to be people who spread the good news of love, no matter what our prejudice may be. Because we all have specific prejudice. No matter what our view of life may be, of other people's lives, we might fear certain groups of people. But we need to bring the gospel, the good news of love. We must live loving them. Because they have the image of God within them. And each and every person matters to God. And he desires for them to come to know him. Man, any area of life is a touch point where we can show and live and share the good news of love because it is for whoever believes in him. That's why Paul calls us to go all around the world. That's why the missions movement of the CMA is to take the gospel to people who don't know the gospel because they matter to God. That is our missionary mindset where we send people out. But listen, we need to be missionary people here where we live because the good news of love is for whoever believes in him. It's a gospel of reclamation. It's not a gospel of fear. It's a gospel of love. Because God so loved the world. He loved the world. It is good news of love. The next thing that we can see when it comes to that idea of God loves every person, that we matter to God, is that love does not require perfection. Love does not require perfection. You and I, we will never be perfect. I hate to break it to you. You'll never be perfect this side of heaven. You might have a mindset of, oh, I'll get there. I'll be perfect. I'll be the best. I can do it. That's a lie. But so often when it comes to the idea of the gospel, with the gospel in, in, in American culture, whether said or not said, can sometimes tend to be, you need to do the right thing. Now it's time to, to modify your behavior. Do the right thing. Be the right person. You've got to do it. You've got to work hard. You've got to be the best you can. And even that happens when we slip into our parenting. I know it happens in my parenting where I focus on the behavior of my children. But that's not the gospel. The only people that Jesus calls out in their behavior are the Pharisees. And he says, you are making twice the sons of hell that you are because of the way that you are acting, because of the lack of love that you have for those who desire God. You're blocking them. You're shutting them out. Although the Abrahamic covenant was to make sure that we as people are a blessing to the entire world. They did not fulfill that portion. They did not follow through with that portion of their call. Love does not require perfection. The goal of love is heart restoration, not behavioral modification. The gospel of love is not a pressurized gospel of doing. That's religion. It is a gospel of love. 
And when we go after the heart and not the behavior, we will find a changed person. We will find a person who is changed by the good news of love. You can attack someone's behavior all the time, and you can say, stop doing the wrong thing, and then they'll start doing the right thing on the outside, but on the inside, things are a mess. Or they'll just walk away saying, I could never do the right thing. And that's a great place for us to come. Paul in 2 Corinthians comes to that place where he says, in my weakness, God makes me strong. I can never do what I'm supposed to do. Everything I'm supposed to do, I don't do. And everything I'm not supposed to do, I do. He realizes the truth of the gospel, the good news of love, is that our hearts are reclaimed. And when we recognize that and allow God to go into our hearts, our behavior will follow. Because we will be so in love with God, that it transforms how we live. I love my wife to death. I would die for my wife, and that makes me want to do and be a better man for her out of my love, not out of duty. I've said before, you know, if I did everything out of duty, then she would not sense love because I'd be grudging. I'm like, ugh, I gotta do this again because it's on my job list. And maybe you've been there. Don't do things out of duty for your bride. Do it out of love. When you wake up in the morning, you should say, I'm going to take out the trash. Yes! Man, I love that woman. I'm going to do the dishes. I love that woman. When she walks in and she sees the dishes are clean, she might just kiss me. That's how we should love. We should love and do things out of love. When we understand our relationship with God, we'll wake up in the morning and say, I can't wait to preach the gospel. I can't wait to live the Christian life. I can't wait to do the right thing, not out of duty, but out of love. I'm so passionate about this God that died for me. I can't wait to live the gospel life. How often do we wake up and say, oh, I gotta do my devotions again. Gotta check the box. Or how often do we miss the box and get guilty? Oh, God's gonna be so mad at me. My day's terrible because I forgot my devotions. And listen, God is a God of love. And when we understand that it's a gospel of love, things will change. Things will change in our life, <clears throat> because the goal of love is heart restoration. He will restore our heart. Let me share with you one of my favorite stories. It was told by A.W. Tozer, so I want to make sure that I give him credit for this. And one of his sermons, I wouldn't just read his books, I, I read his, I listen to his sermons too, and they're really crackly, and you got to turn them up really loud because they're from the 1950s and the 60s. But he told this one story that has always inspired me about this idea of the gospel being a gospel of love, not a gospel of behavioral modification. He told this story of an artist who was walking down the street, and he saw a homeless guy. And he went to the homeless guy and said, you know what, I'll give you 200 bucks if you let me draw, draw you. I want to make a painting and a drawing of you because I just, I just feel like that's important. And I'll give you 100 bucks right now, and if you come back to my studio, and he gave him the list of where it was, I'll give you the under, other 100 bucks. Well, the next day, there's a knock on the door. And the artist opens the door to his studio, and he sees this man in a really nice suit and clean-shaven, and he smells really good. And he's like, sir, who, who are you? 
And the, the guy says, well, I'm, I'm the guy that you gave the $100 to. See, I went out and I bought this suit and I wanted to look good for this painting. I wanted to look really good for this painting. I even wanted to smell good for this painting, even though no one's going to smell me through the painting. I wanted to be good. I wanted to look good. And he said, all I wanted was you. All I wanted was you. I wanted to paint you as you are, not this version of you that's not real. And Tozer used that to say that's how God desires us coming as we are, not trying to be perfect because in and of ourselves we never will be. We will always feel like God is mad at us. We will always feel like we've disappointed God. But God is a God of love. He wants us to come and be honest about where we're at, not hiding it and being secret, looking good on the outside. Jesus said to the Pharisees, you are whitewashed tombs. You look real good on the outside. You look like you spent thousands of dollars on your tomb, but on the inside, inside your heart, you're full of dead men's bones. So that's what happens when we don't realize that God desires us to be real and honest with him. When we come with all of our mess and admit it, and he cleans us up because he loves us. And he sends us out changed and transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit because of the truth that's in this word, the gospel, the good news of love. The good news of love. A guy named Brennan Manning, maybe you've heard of him, maybe you haven't. He said, God loves us as we are, not as we should be. God loves us as we are, not as we should be. And he continued that quote and said, because we will never be as we should be. That's why we're constantly told to be holier and holier and holier. Sanctification is a one-time and a continual thing. That's why in, in A.B. Simpson, it's, he, said, he wrote a book called Holy Sanctified. It's a continuous process. May you be sanctified through and through, Paul says in 1 Thessalonians. That's part of our ownership of our doctrine is understanding that sanctification is we're made holy at the moment of, of salvation. We're clothed with Christ, but it's a continual process because we'll never be as we should be until we reach heaven. Until we reach heaven. And so we've got to stop trying to do to please God. We just need to rest in his love and be transformed by it. It is a gospel of love. God loves us as we are, not as we should be. Now, the next thing that we see is the, probably the most forgotten passage of the Bible. Because I never hear anyone quote it after John 3.16. I never hear anybody know what John 3.17 is. And it says, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. We understand that love draws near and hate drives away in this passage. Love draws near and hate drives away. I was telling the story with a couple of folks this past week of, of, a, of a, um, a street preacher at the University of Pittsburgh. And he would get up on a soapbox and he would yell at people and he would just hate on them and he would yell and say, you're all going to hell, come on to Jesus. Isn't that attractive? You're gonna die. And there's these college students like, this guy is bananas. They're walking past him. And I said, I pulled him off the soapbox and I said, listen, I have a question for you. How successful has this been? And he said, oh, this is a great story. It's a great story. So well, tell me the great story. 
said, I've had three people come to Jesus in 10 years. And I said, well, praise God that those three people came to Jesus. I said, but it could be way more. You come here and you leave. You don't build relationship. I said, in fact, you make my job harder as a person who's trying to witness and love on college students. And he walked away from that with a head-scratching moment. Because it's relational. It's spending time. It's loving. Sometimes in our society, we've got to be patient. It's going to take time and life on life with people to come to the realization of the gospel of Jesus. Are we willing to love them and be patient with them? Because we can't just discard them. We can't just throw them away. We cannot just hate them or give them hate. We have to love them. Jesus said it's a gospel of love. He did not send his son in the world to condemn the world, but that in order the world might be saved through him, love draws near. Jesus came as a doctor to the sick. If you remember, there was this moment in time when the Pharisees asked him, why do you always hang out with the sinners? Because again, sinners were not supposed to be welcomed into the kingdom of God. Even if they were Jewish people, they were outcasts. Oh, you're a sinner. You, no one could ever accept you. Why do you hang out with the sinners? And he said to them, I, I've come to, to save the sick. I'm a doctor to the sick. And what he was saying is they realize that they're sick. You have no idea. But you've got whooping cough and you've got all kinds of crazy things. You're dying. But you don't get it. They realize that they need a doctor. If you remember another portion of Scripture, James and John, when they were offended by a city, they said, rain down fire, Jesus, so they can be dead. And he said, nope. One day, one day they will be judged. One day it will come and they will be even worse than Sodom and Gomorrah on Judgment Day. But now is not that day. Now is not that day. You see, hate pushes away and love draws near. The gospel of truth is a gospel of reclamation. When we condemn right away, we push away. We must draw them through love, not judgment, do not judge lest you too be judged. Also, if you look at 1 Corinthians, this is all throughout the scripture, my friends. It is, it is a, a line of truth. In, in 1 Corinthians, when Paul is talking about judgment and calling people out, he says we're not to judge the outside world. That's God's job. We need to challenge and grow and judge one another based off of the scriptures. We're to live out there and draw people in by the love that we have. For they will know you by your love. They will know you how you love one another. He's like, so we got to get this love thing right. That's, that's one of the most forgotten passages in Scripture. It's one of the most forgotten and tangible grasping understandings of why Jesus came. And he tacked it on right after his gospel of love. Now we're going to move up to uh, verse 14 again. I did a little bit of calisthenics as I've done before. Verse 14 says, and, Moses, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. We see that part of the good news of love is that healing comes through a self-sacrificing God. Healing comes through a self-sacrificing God. 
God. And that's how we are to model. We are to be self-sacrificing people, giving up our time to spend time with non-believers, giving up our time to witness and love and have relationship and build relationship with people who don't know Jesus so we can draw them to Christ. First Peter 3.15 says that when Christ is Lord of your life, you need to be ready to defend your faith with grace and truth. But the key to that verse is always if Jesus is Lord of your life. Because people will then ask you questions. Because Jesus is Lord of your life. But healing comes through a self-sacrificing God. Jesus is alluding to Numbers 21, 4 through 9. Numbers 21, 4 through 9 was this, this passage of these serpents that were in the camp of Israel and they were eating, they were biting people and giving them poison and people were dying left and right. And Moses was like, what am I supposed to do? God said, put a bronze snake on a stick and hold it up. And when people look upon it, they'll be healed. Their faith as they look upon it will be healed. You'll notice that medicine, the, the medical symbol is a brass serpent around a stick. Healing. Healing. And what he was saying was, the Son of Man will be raised up like that. And when the Son of Man is raised up, they didn't understand that it was about him dying and going on a cross. They didn't catch it until later. But he was foreshadowing his death. When we look upon the Jesus who loves us, who died on the cross for us, when we look upon him and believe on him, we will be saved. We will be healed. And you and I have that eternal healing. We have that healing for here and now because of a self-sacrificing God. He died for you. Because you matter to God. This is a gospel of love, a gospel of reclamation. He wants to reclaim everything that the enemy has stolen. What has the enemy stolen in your life? Look to him. It can be reclaimed. It can be renewed. You can be restored. No matter what has happened in your life, you can be restored. When we look upon the cross, when we look upon his death for you and for me, and maybe you don't know who Jesus is, maybe you've never looked upon the cross, and today's that day, look at the truth of the gospel of love. It is good news of love that God loved you, that whoever comes to him will be saved. Today is your day to come. Final point is everyone who looks to Jesus will be healed, reclaimed, and restored. Now, I want you to understand that Jesus is not soft on sin. Jesus is not soft on sin. Just because it's good news of love doesn't mean he's going to not call you out on your mess and on your sin. He will, by the power of the Holy Spirit, bring conviction to your life. But healing comes from him. All things can be reclaimed and all things can be restored. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will purify us from all unrighteousness, not just some, but all. All unrighteousness. Are you going to allow him to heal those places of your life that are broken, that need restored, that need reclaimed? Are we going to live the good news of love, living out of the love of God, not for the love of God? Because God already loves us. We need to live from his love, not for his love. Finally, we are a people 
who are to be marked and transformed by this good news of love. Do people know that you live out of that love of God? Does it well out of you? Does it just shower people? We're supposed to smell like God. We're to have the fragrance of God upon us. When people smell you, spiritually, do they smell the love of God upon you? Do they sense it? Do they know it? Because we're called to be marked by his love. We're called to be marked by the good news of love. So the good news of love is that it's for everybody. The good news of love is that it does not require perfection. The good news of love is that God loves us as we are, not as we should be, and he will make us better. He will sanctify us and make us holier. When we love him, we will be transformed from his love. Let us be people who are marked by the good news of love. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the word. I thank you that this is a good news of love. We as believers know that you are coming and that judgment will happen on that day. And the wheat will be separated from the chaff. But Father, may we be so moved that knowing that 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 day is coming, that we can live the good news of love and bring more people into the wheat. That it's our call to be missionaries to this world. It's our call to bring the good news of love. May we be marked by your love. May we be transformed by your love. May we live out of your love and be excited to live the gospel, to serve you. Mark us by your love, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.